Amen. Thank you, ladies. The rest of you all can be seated. Children can be dismissed to go party in the other room while we party in here. (laughs) So thank you all for for being here today. I don't know what kind of weeks you've all had, but uh, if it's a normal week, I'm sure it's been filled with ups and downs and all arounds. I know even in our week, like we've witnessed life, we've witnessed death, we've been filled with joy, and we've been filled with frustration. <laughs> all, all what seems like could be in just a matter of moments. <laughs> but in all of these things, I thank God. Because regardless of these situations and these circumstances, whether or not they are challenges or whether or not they are joys, they are all worthy to praise God for. So on the eve of what we celebrate here in America is Thanksgiving, this would be our Thanksgiving sermon. I thank God, taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And so it's a great example for us to see and especially to hear from Paul and knowing part of his story, especially his brief visit to Philippi, to see how this man is joyful despite whatever else might happen in his experience and his stay in that, that city. And so without further ado, let's pray and let's worship God. So, dear Heavenly Father, uh, again, regardless of where we find ourselves, regardless of our own expectations, Lord, we know that you are good and that uh, you have our best interest in mind. And if we... Take your word and your advice and wear the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and wield the sword of the Spirit and stand behind the shield of faith that, Lord, we can stand uh, against anything knowing that ultimately in the end you absolutely love us and you care for us. And, Lord, we know that all things uh, work together for good for those those who are called according to your purpose. And so we give you much thanks. And, Lord, let this... Uh, sermon today that's filled with thanks, of course, be uh, praise on our lips and glory for you. All this I pray in our Lord and Savior Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I thank my God. So I want to give you some some background, some really good background. And I I love the book of Acts because it correlates so much with Paul and, and the letters that he writes and the things that are going on. Uh, While you don't need to turn there, just just follow along with me, that Acts chapter 16 explains a little bit about how Paul got to Philippi, as well as what transpired when he did go to Philippi. And so, very briefly, as I summarize it for you in chapter 16 of Acts, uh, Paul wanted to go to Asia. He wanted to expand and to go to a different territory where the gospel had not been presented before. And, and of course, who wouldn't want to do that, especially a man so motivated as Paul? But God said no. (laughs) The Spirit forbid him, we don't know why, to go into Asia. So instead of going that way, um, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia, which Philippi is in the middle of Macedonia at this time. Um, So they go there. And so when he goes there, 
Um, he, he goes, sees the city, meets people, and then he meets uh, a, a group of ladies in a van down by the, no, not in a van down by the river, but a group of ladies down by the river, uh, and, and this lady, Lydia, who sells goods and trades and things like that. And it's described that God opens up uh, her heart to Paul's words, that she comes to the knowledge of the truth. And so um, they baptize her, he goes and stays with her, so on and so forth, but Paul evangelizes, he talks to people, he's not scared of anything or the magistrates or, or anything of that degree. But they say that Paul is spreading heresy and, and lies and, and making them try to follow rules that, that don't you know, per se exist to the people of Philippi, so on and so forth. So they arrest him and they beat him and they throw him in jail. But while he's in jail, even then, there's God working. You know, here's a bad thing in his life, but God's working and an earthquake happens and breaks open all the cell cages and releases all the prisoners. Now, the jailer who's guarding them probably had a rough week, something to that effect. He was sleeping on the job, right? And uh, because he was sleeping on the job, when he woke up, he saw that the jail cells were open and, and, he, and the shackles were done. He was ready to commit suicide. In, in a long story short, he was ready to kill himself because he knew that the punishment for allowing these jailers to leave was going to um, cause him to die anyway. So it's easier probably in his head to take his own life than to allow them to execute him for not doing his job properly. But Paul yells out in, in this moment from whatever reason and says, hey, don't worry, man, we're still here. And then in turn, he tells him about Jesus and this Philippian jailers converted. Okay, So that's a little bit of the crazy story that goes on behind this. And so now we have this letter to Philippians. So we don't assume that this was a big church that Paul stayed for because he was actually forced out of Philippi after that because uh, once he did get out of jail, um, it's, it's illegal to beat a Roman citizen. And, and so because they beat Paul and his accomplice uh, you know, without a trial or without convicting him, like the magistrates of Philippi were in trouble and they were all fearing and cowering and they were like, please leave. We're sorry. <laughs> just, just go. Go on with your merry way. And so we see a, a balance and we see a lot of struggle and strife. And, and I think we can all relate to that point. But here we have this letter and, and these people that he goes and visits. And we see, and, and, and this letter is the, the joy letter, if you will. It's, it's inexpressible. It's, it's written throughout every chapter and multiple times um, just to be joyous and to be filled with joy. And, and there's, there's so much that goes on in this letter. It's, it's beautiful. But the way that he starts it with the thanksgiving and praise and, and all that's going on, we need to see that Regardless of our situations and circumstances, it's all worthwhile to be thankful for. And that's clearly seen through the example of Paul, how he uh, expressed what was going on in Philippi, as well as um, just the people that are there and the grace that God gives and the love and the mercy and the righteousness. And there's so much more that goes on to this. But um, I thank my God, long story short. So let's read the text and, and we'll dig in, go line by line. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may prove what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Amen indeed. And... uh, on the back of your sheets, if you have those sheets, I've broken this out into three different points and just three different ways and reasons to think about being thankful to God. And as Paul lays it out here in the text, uh, starting point one, verses three to five, being thankful to God for his church. And so what, per se, like let's break it out, three, four, five here. Uh, verse three is kind of the what and and. Paul saying, I thank my God whenever I remember you, whenever I think about you. And when, you see that in verse 4, always with joy despite the hardships. And so what we need to to have a brief understanding of, because we're going to go into this whole joy thing in a few more weeks, especially when we hit the Advent series, is that joy is the settled assurance within us that God is in control of all the details of my life, all of them, and the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. It also includes the determined choice to praise God in every situation. And this is joy. It's not just a feeling or an emotion. It's, a, it's kind of a, a, a deed, if you will. Kind of how agape and love is an action more than it's a feeling. Like it's, this is the way that it, it works in a sense. And so um, we get to the reason why in verse 5. Why? Because of <clears throat> the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And so... If you remember back to our series uh, a few weeks ago now in the church, we talked about uh, one of the facets of the church being fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia, okay? And this word partnership is also koinonia. This is fellowship, it's partnership, it carries along with it uh, like a sharing sense to it, a contributing sense to it, as well as proper stewardship of using the talents that we have. And so this whole partnership, we realize throughout this letter that, that Paul is talking about um, how he's, or how Philippi, the Philippians, have been supporting Paul regardless of where he's at, whether he was in Thessalonica, they sent him uh, money and supplies, things of that nature, perhaps a letter of encouragement as well. Um, Just, again, encouraging Paul and and being a partner in, in the gospel in itself. And so this partnership 
Um, we can assume a lot of things, but generally it's for the fellowship that they had together, the fellowship in the faith, the fellowship in the hope, the fellowship in the holy love, as, as with all good Christians, they greet one another with a, a holy kiss, if you will. Um, also the fellowship in the, the promises of the gospel that we find, uh, the ordinances, uh, sacraments, if you will, of communion and baptism, um, other privileges and hopes from the very first day until the time now. Like, they've never abandoned each other. Now, I understand that there's obviously issues that, that's going on in this church. You can read about those in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Philippians here, that there are some issues. Um, there's some people fighting, kind of going at each other, not, not common in the faith. But all in all, there's a partnership to be on mission for Christ. Like, again, the, the church in itself, uh, while we're diverse and have a lot of different gifts and abilities, we're all on submission or the mission of Christ. We might have other missions in our lives, depending on how God's blessed us, you know, with family or friends or with the work that we do or things of that nature. But all in all, as people, when we do come together, we are on mission for Christ. And the greatest bond that we have is Christ. And, and our love of the Lord. You know, we're all so different, but we're all so alike at the same time when we are in Christ because he is our head. And so we follow our head. Um, so he's giving, them, he's giving them praise for that, but there's got to be something else here too in this, in this verse 5 and, and this partnership and things like that. Um, because it, it is difficult to believe that the word koinonia and this partnership is just about money. Like, that's the last thing. This is just a tangible thing. And if we understand the sovereignty of God, you know, the money that we have and the blessings, like, that, that all comes from God in the first place. And so he speaks very personally of his relationship with saying, I thank my God whenever I remember you right? Verse 3, what we see up there. And it says, it's even right for me to think this way on behalf of you because I have you in my heart. Verse 7, right? A little farther down. Um, if we go on, he calls them my beloved, my brothers, uh, my long for, uh, calls them my joy and my crown. Uh, so when Paul says your partnership in the, the advance of the gospel and the further, he must have in mind the personal relationship that he shares with uh, the church. Now, Paul wasn't there for a very long time. Um, in fact, Acts 16 makes it pretty clear that, you know, he, he meets Lydia, then he gets thrown in jail, uh, has the conversion of the, the jailer, he's released from jail, and then he has that issue with the magistrates, and the magistrates are like, get out, please, please leave town. You're like, we'll let you go, don't get us in trouble, so on and so forth. So he couldn't have been there very long. Um, and, and even if we just read Acts 16, like you've got Lydia's family and then you've got the jailer's family. There's got to be something more than that though, right? But when he left, he would be able to leave only a little congregation in place at that time. But here's what's beautiful is that those few people that he knew and that he uh, was a part of, you know, God saving them, um, they built a congregation. 
these, these very small people like started something. They, they continued to do the work and planted the church. And so maybe that's where Paul and his heart and, uh, is, is kind of growing. Because again, we read all these things. It can't be thankful just for the partnership in finances. It has to be, be something more than that. And so when Paul speaks of your koinonia or your partnership or your fellowship and the furtherance of the gospel, the good news, he must be thinking of their work sharing of proclamation and evangelism and that they share that same mission of Christ. And so we can relate that here today too, that we can be thankful to God for his church because when we go out into this world, okay, when we leave this building, um, we have a lot of different people in our lives depending on where we work and uh, you know who we hang out with, so on and so forth. But there is, there's an amazing uh, sanctuary, if you will, among God's people that, that says, man, that world outside is absolutely crazy, but thank God that we have this here, we have this church here, that whenever I'm frustrated or whenever I'm in trouble or whenever I feel alone, I know that I am not alone because I have partners in the gospel. And so I thank God for his church. You know, uh, many, many of you at many different times, we've had many great conversations about many different things. And just praise the Lord for that. Because I can just very simply be me and not have these uh, forced expectations. Like, I, there are some. But what the world, like, tries to slam on you if you will, what the world tries to, to put you into a little box and wrap you up and be like, I know you because you do this, this is who you are, and you're just going to be in that little box, and I'm just going to allow that to happen, and, and that's not the way. And that's not the way. That's not who we are. Like, we are who we are, and, and it's very freeing and reassuring to to after having gone into this world that tries to condemn you to be encouraged that there are others who are, are struggling, there are others who are joyful. Uh, it's brilliant and beautiful, again, to see God working in, in each of your lives, as well as my own, as well as the church body, as well as the city, and then we just keep kind of going up and up and up from there. So, again, as a recap of the very first point, we're just thankful to God for his church for the partnership and the fellowship that we have together as his people. Um, the second point, verse 6 to 8, being thankful to God for his grace. And so verse 6, uh, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, this is a very, uh, I, I would hope that God would write this on your heart, okay? Uh, carve it into your heart, if you will. Uh, verse 6 says, For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Very simply, this day of Jesus Christ is the final judgment day, as foretold in the Old Testament, as talked about clearly here in the New Testament, and so on and so forth. But this is perhaps the greatest uh, piece of grace that we can have, because so much of the world is based on our individual performance. And this shows that our salvation, 
our sanctification, our growing into Christ's likeness. While there are, of course, responsibilities for the human of repentance and faith and being part of the church and, and something bigger than, than yourself, so to speak, this shows that this salvation, this uh, sanctification, if you will, is entirely upon God, that God will finish it. It's not the perseverance of us. <laughs> it's the perseverance of God that saves us. So when we see and hear a lot of religions that you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to climb the spiritual ladder, if you will, you have to earn favor from God, know this verse that it has nothing to do with you earning favor, you climbing up the ladder, you achieving all these different things. This has to do with God coming down the ladder, giving you grace, unmerited favor in this, and just loving you, so to speak. And so uh, a key point in this verse is that God began a good work among the Philippian Christians, right? And will continue that work until Christ comes again. But Paul has done his part, right? God, he's been part of this. He's been used to bring Lydia to faith, to bring the jailer to faith. But God's the one who planted the faith in the hearts of the Christians. And this church is a godly achievement, if you will. And in the next chapter, Paul will say, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, right? So it kind of ties back into this again. And just know and understand this, that, that Again, this, this world wants to crush you, wants to make you something that you're not and, and will tell you you're not something until you are these certain things, right? But God, being rich in, in mercy and grace, tells you otherwise. He tells you, you are beautiful, you are loved, you are special to me. And because of that, we can rest that God loves us, therefore we must be special. We must not get prideful about it because, again, how can we boast about something that we haven't done ourselves? If anything, we need to boast in God, and that brings up the very last word, verse, all things praise and glory to God, like all things through Christ that we see in verse, verse 11 there, to the glory and praise of God. And so perseverance is grace. And regardless of what circumstance we find ourselves in, we know that we will get through it because we are His. And so this whole theme of perseverance too, especially as we talk about uh, Advent and the, the, you know, the coming of Christ, and especially in that verse, the second coming of Christ, uh, know, again, that regardless of how long it takes the Lord to get here, the Lord will come. The Lord will save us. The Lord will sanctify us. The Lord perseveres for us that we may rejoice with him someday. And so ancient Israel back in the day waited so long for this Messiah. Now praise the Lord that we live in this time where we have this relationship with our Messiah now, but, but how much more, uh, even, even now I'm, I'm thinking like how great and amazing it would be that if Christ returned. And, and what that's going to look like. Like, um, it, I don't want to be like, oh, that day of Christ is going to be this, oh, sunshiny, happy day. Um, if, if we go back to Amos, like chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, the day of the Lord is not going to be a happy day. It's going to be a day filled with gloom because there are many people, human beings on this planet, uh, that will be their last day. And that's hard. So, but... I rejoice because my hope is in Christ. 
and the sanctification and to be glory and to see what heaven's like, especially Revelation chapter 21. You know, there will be no darkness. God will be in our midst. He will be our light. There will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. Um, man, that's exciting stuff. <laughs> like, I, I would love that now. You know, you just think about the week that we have. You know, it's such an emotional roller coaster sometimes, just trying to get through the week and all these situations and circumstances that come up and, and the things that are unseen that just feel like they come out of left field and slap you across the face. But again, like, this day's going to come. And that's so exciting. And that's, that's what Advent's about. It's about this coming and that, this, that Jesus is coming back. Yes, he's here with us now. Absolutely. But he's coming back in like tangible physical form for the earth before the earth goes away when the new heavens and the new earth come. So that's another whole big story for another whole big day. Uh, we'll all go through that, but there's, there's a lot of uh, eschatology, if you will, talk of the end times um, going on. So Paul gives that, that he's sure. He's sure for them. Let's, let's continue and carry on. And in verses 7 to 8, he gives three reasons why he's sure of these things. Uh, reason 1, verse 7, I hold you in my heart. Now remember that the heart is the center of intellect and will as well as the emotions for uh, the Hebrews and, and the Greeks at this time, like the, the heart being the epicenter. So when Paul talks about holding the Philippians in his heart, uh, he is saying that they are in the forefront of his consciousness, if you will. He thinks about them, and his thinking has led him to further care about them. And so it kind of makes you think, do we have people in our lives that we care about? And then also, isn't this part of the unmerited favor and, and the grace of God that we have people who we care about in our lives. And hopefully it's within the church. Obviously there's going to be some outside of the church as well, but hopefully there's the, the unity of the faith in that, that we are adopted sons and daughters into the family of God. Like that, That's a mad cause of rejoice because it's, it's not something that, that we can do for ourselves. Uh, you think about orphans and 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 that whole thing that goes on in this world, like, they don't get to say, hey, you're taking me home. <laughs> you're going, like, you're going to take care of me. But, but God does, right? And the adoptee does. And so God has said that he will care for us and he will take care of us. And again, just like Romans 8, like, uh, um, I'm sure that Regardless that, that those who love God, uh, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we hold on to these hopes. We hold on to these dreams. We hold on to these joys. Uh, we just appreciate God for what he's done. And we're thankful to him for the grace that he's given us in, in our lives. Because um, whether we realize it or not, uh, you know, family, friends, children, People in general are all blessings in one way or another from God. And especially when they partner in the gospel together, when we advance and we can have this fellowship and this union that um, regardless of many other different things, we have this amazing bond that's simply in Christ. And that's all that we, in essence, need. Not economics, not looks, not... Uh, any of those other different things. And so reason number two is verse seven as well, because you're partakers with me of grace. 
and I just kind of talked about that, that whole adoption into God's family, being his children. We're God's chosen. Like, he went to the orphanage, and he picked you. Wow. How amazing is that? <laughs> that, you know, the orphanage of the earth, and he's picked you to be a part of his family and a part of his kingdom. And so, like I've said before, and I'll say it again, like, if God has chosen you, there must be something really, really quote-unquote special about you. You didn't earn it, but if God loves you, how can I deny that clearly there's something special about you as a human being too, right? It just makes sense, logical sense, if you will, that if you are in Christ, clearly there's a reason that God loves you and that you are special and different, so to speak. So these Philippians are partakers of the grace with him as well. And then last thing, reason three, verse seven and eight, both in my imprisonment and the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And so we can be thankful to God for his unmerited favor upon us. It's not something we earned or something we deserve, but his phrase, grace was freely given for us. And so grateful in our lives is not based on my performance, but on Christ's performance and his perseverance. But that very last verse too, clearly they've been through highs and lows together. They've been through life. They've been through, you know, deaths together. They've, you see this both in my imprisonment and when we're sharing the gospel together. So Paul kind of lays out these two um, sides, if you will. The imprisonment, the downside, you know, when, we're, when we find ourselves in the valleys of life, if you will. And then, um, this makes sense for Paul, might not make sense for most of us, but the defense and confirmation of the gospel. When we're, when we're out sharing the gospel together and we're talking and we're meeting new people and we're sharing lives and we're doing all these things, like that's the high. That's Paul's high. So you see the high and the low, the hills and the valleys, if you will. And so those are the three reasons why. The, the holding in a heart, which is clearly a, a grace of God thing. Uh, partakers with me of grace, which of course is a grace of God thing. And uh, the third reason, the highs and lows of life, that, that we've been able to stand and endure together these highs and lows. And for that, we can rejoice and thank God as well. So we see, again, like we can be thankful for the church. We can be thankful for God and his grace. We see all these different capacities and we know the story of of how Paul came to Philippi and all, all the craziness that happens with that as well. And so we move on to the last part, verses 9 through 11, being thankful to God for his love, his life, and his righteousness. And so um, as if you've ever wanted to know how to pray for your, your friends and family, uh, Paul gives us a pretty good example in these last few verses. Uh, also, there's been many sermons that have been done just on these last three verses, like long sermons. But I want to keep it very simple and very clear and just pull out those big themes here for you. And so, verse 9, the, the first part, love, okay? And let me read it. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Okay, love. This is agape again. This is that sacrificial type of love. The kind of love that doesn't expect anything in return. It simply cares because it loves. 
Okay? Now, also with love, know this, that love is one of the first fruits of the Spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't mean that it happens in that order, and it doesn't mean that you're limited to those, because they all grow at different times. But, but love is one of the first fruits of the Spirit. And it's also the greatest of the Christian virtues, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. Uh, but greater than all these things is love. And I'll show you a more excellent way, if you will, uh, as Scripture says. So Paul clearly identifies in both Galatians as well as 1 Corinthians about the importance of love. We can also see in the Gospel of, of John, God so loved you know, the world. But when asked about the greatest commandment, Jesus himself said, the greatest is, hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that's written in Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 31. And so, um, without going into a huge doxology about love, I'm thankful for the love of God this sacrificial self-love of God. Like, I, I, I didn't earn it, okay? We need to kind of grasp that, that there's not something that, that we earn. It's something that God gives. It's just the grace of God that comes at us. And so let us be thankful in, in these moments, especially knowing Christ, that regardless, God loves us. And knowing that God loves us, you go back to that Romans 8 thing again, uh, that Regardless, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Like, it's just a, a, a beautiful thing. So regardless, even though it, it, our situations may be troublesome, they may quote-unquote stink, and, and it's terrible that I have to go through it, but you're going to go through it, and it's, and it's a good thing because it's going to change you. It's going to allow you to grow in empathy you know, when other people are going through these, these challenges. It's going to allow you to grow in grace. It'll allow you to grow in obedience and, and submission. It allows you to grow in humility that we will not, that, and that we are not as powerful as we think we are. And that God is definitely in control and that he definitely loves us and that he definitely has a plan for us. He's given us purpose. He's given us meaning. And, and he's done all this just by his love that he doesn't expect anything in return for, if you will. Because, well, God's love is a little different and bigger than the agape kind of love because agape love is sacrificial. So, but God does require repentance and faith on behalf of the believer. Make no mistake that, that God wants you to believe. And, and these things grow in us, the faith to believe, as we continue to go through these uh, quote-unquote unpleasant uh, circumstances. Persevere, just so you know, per means go through, and severe means severe, to go through something severe. That's what persevere means. Um, and that's where we're at, and that's where you see the love of God come into play. And so uh, the, the second part of what Paul's talking about here in his last part of the prayer, um, first we talked about love, and then we talk about life, and the meaning of life in the Spirit, abounding more and more in this growth that we're talking about. Paul is praying that the Philippians will experience continued growth in the knowledge and discernment that 
feed their love. So if we want people to grow in these things, the more knowledge and discernment that the uh, agape person, the sacrificial loving person, brings to the situation, the more likely that he or she will be able to act effectively, to do what really needs to be done, and the less likely that he or she will do something that will turn out to be harmful in the end. So, love, like, and then knowledge and discernment growing in that love so that we can make better, perhaps more holy decisions in that regard. So Paul is praying for them that they continue to grow, again, in the sacrificial love, but not willy-nilly, not a reckless kind of love, as what that you know, song says, but a planned and organized and a thoughtful and effective love that, that helps build up someone else. Then, as an outpouring from that in, in this uh, last little prayer part, if the Philippian Christians have the knowledge and the insight which Paul prays for in verse 9, they will be well equipped to examine or to approve the choices that everyday life presents them and to test those choices to choose the best one of that situation, right? We see that uh, pretty much verse 10 here. Uh, what does it say? Uh, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Like, life often presents us with complex choices, right? Uh, I don't think anyone here could deny that. We not only have to choose between bad and good, but the spectrum also includes typically bad, good, better, and best. And then the list kind of goes on and on. We might have a quadruple or ten different choices within this one capacity. Um, but the spectrum, and Paul wants these Philippian Christians to be equipped to consistently choose the best in that regard. And so very, very similarly, like that, that's the best part, right? Like if, if we're looking for what's best and to know what's right and to know the will of God, um, all these different things that we constantly ask. Uh, last week I got great feedback from many people about those four foundational questions for life. And then this is kind of the applicable and the outpouring. Like we want you to grow in love. We want you to grow in sacrificial love. Understand that it's not about you. Grow in humility and grow in grace and, and simply enjoy life and enjoy the freedom that, that Christ provides each of us to simply go and to be. You know, that, that, that this isn't a performance thing. You don't have to look this certain special way and this, that, and the other. Uh, many, like, theology says some things about, obviously, what is right and what is wrong and what is God's way, but the world says something completely countercultural and counter-different and that we typically follow that. And so... That outpouring, that, that understanding to grow in that love and to grow in knowledge and discernment of the Word of God and what His will is and things like that is also applicable then to the outpouring of everyday life that we have for all these difficult decisions and these difficult choices. Now this whole pure and blameless part, the day of the Lord, uh, kind of constitutes the, the ultimate test, if you will. Like this is the, the end of the end. This is eschatology. Okay, the, the end of the times. It is a life and death, quote-unquote, test. Um, test might not be the right word, but, but again, the, the day of Christ Jesus, the day of Jesus Christ, when he comes back, that is judgment day, so to speak. And so eternity hangs in the balance, 
Like, are we going up? Are we going down? Regardless, they're going to have that experience with God, where God's going to be like, why should I let you, you into heaven? So on and so forth. And so this is where a, a lot can, can go wrong, this whole pure and blameless. Like, it, it hardly matters what, what you've achieved. If we fail this day of Christ test, nothing else will matter. As Jesus also said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? And so the, the danger of this, this text is to be pure and blameless, as if we're doing works, as if we're trying to earn salvation, trying to earn God's favor or something to that. But understand this, and especially verse 11, it's not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness that stands on our own. And um, if we could just... Uh, Turn the pages a little bit to chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And I think Paul sums it up probably the best way uh, that, that we can in any kind of capacity. So verses 8 through 10 say, um, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Like, I would love to spend another hour going over all that, that, that important theology that, that's in there. Just the same, you know, doing, doing word studies with you and, and things of that nature. But this whole substitutionary atonement and this righteousness on your own. Like, yes, it is good for us to work to be pure and blameless. But our motives uh, are, need to be in check. Like, if we're trying to earn this favor before God as our motive, like, that's the wrong way. If we're trying to be obedient uh, to God because of what Christ has done um, for us, then, then we're on a better path. But if we acknowledge that um, this pure and blameless, it's not on me, it's not something I can do. You go back to verse 6, the perseverance of the saints, it's something that God has done in me. It is what Jesus has done, living that perfect, sinless life on, my, on you know, our behalf and going to the cross uh, and, and taking that cup of wrath that we so rightly deserve. Then we're on the best page, right? Because it is not based on us. I want to glorify God. I don't have to glorify God. Like, that sounds dangerous too, right? In, in some capacity. But again, it's heart motives and it's works. And it's the acknowledgement that Christ is all in all, that Christ is sufficient in all these uh, things in order to earn this uh, experience with God and the righteousness of God and, and just being in his, his kingdom because again, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and how can something that is not holy be in the presence of something that's holy? Like it just doesn't exist. And so we needed a mediator and that's exactly where Christ is and that's exactly why we give praise and glory to God as the end of the, the um, verse 11 of chapter 1. For the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Because we have no choice but to glorify and to praise God. Again, like I want to, 
because of what God's done for me. I don't have to to try to earn God's favor. God's given me his favor. He's given me his grace. He's allowed me to be a part of his church. He's shown me love. He's given me new life in Christ. And the righteousness that I have is not a righteousness that I myself own. It is the righteousness of my Lord and Savior. And so when we all get to that judgment day, that day of Christ, and God's like, why should I let you into heaven? We can all hopefully say with confidence, you shouldn't let me into heaven, but because of your son, Lord, and because of what he's done, and because I fully acknowledge that he is my Lord and Savior, and that this righteousness that you require is not my own, but it's Christ's, that's why I can be in your presence. Not because of something that I've done, or something I did, or something I earned, or something that, yeah, <laughs> because of all those things but because of what Christ has done. And that is the glory and the praise to God. And that's why, you know, when we see the church, when we see life, when we see the grace, when we see the mercy, we see all these different facets of the Christian faith. And we know that, that life in itself is, is all a blessing from God. Then we long and we're eager and we want to be with Christ. And so just understand, uh, we're thankful to God for sacrificial love, are causing us to grow into new life, to sanctify, and of course what Jesus has ultimately done for us. So Lord, uh, today as, as we, we, we are here and we pray and we worship, uh, we've talked about many things and there's still so much more, God, that we could talk about and being thankful to you for, but uh, Lord, obviously your church and the partnership and the gospel, the advancement of um, your kingdom here on earth, you're, you're bringing new people to life, your sanctification, your unmerited favor on our life, your mercy that says we're not getting the punishment that we deserve, uh, we're justified, we're declared righteous through Christ, we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, um, you're, the righteousness that you require is the righteousness that Jesus gives us, and there are still so many more things, Lord, that we can be thankful to you for. So, Lord, I pray that this has been edifying for all of us here as well as those who are listening uh, far away in different states that uh, we may continue to be assured and, and to be encouraged as, as Paul was as he's gone through all these crazy experiences to go through Philippi that we Lord despite all of our crazy experiences because we all have different stories to tell about all kinds of craziness in this world but but again let it be all to your praise and let it be all to your glory Lord and let us give you great thanksgiving um, amen and then there's one more quote that I wanted to give you. It's from Matthew Henry. Thanksgiving must have a part in every prayer. And whatsoever is the matter of our rejoicing ought to be the matter of our thanksgiving. What we have the comfort of, God must have the glory of. Amen. Amen. <laughs>